0: It's already been a beautiful worship service this morning, and uh, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, I'm very blessed to have the opportunity to speak again this morning. Uh, You know, I love the holiday season, but you know, there's a holiday that I just found out about this week that I didn't know existed until just this week. And it's actually, it's a church holiday that many churches across the nation are celebrating today. You want to know what that holiday is? National Associate Ministers Day. Amen. Because churches by the thousands have their youth ministers and their associate ministers preaching on this day. The last Sunday of the year. Their preachers have gone on vacation. And, uh, and we're no different. But. Thankfully, we've got Mikey and his family back this morning, and I just want to say how much I've appreciated working with Mikey day in and day out. I love him. I love his family. He does so much for our church. Mikey, we are so grateful to have you as our senior minister. Thank you so much. It is such a blessing. And You know, what's funny. I didn't realize this was a holiday, but I've preached on quite a few last Sundays of the year. In fact, my very first sermon that I ever gave my very first month in ministry was on the last day of the year back in 2003 at Glendale Christian Church. Thankfully, there's no video of that message still around. There might be some audio somewhere. I don't know, but we won't find that. I can't guarantee that it was a good message. I can guarantee that I was nervous, that uh, I didn't know really what I was doing, except that I was following the Lord, and, uh, and I gave a message. I remember what my topic was. It was on one of my favorite Old Testament stories, the story of Gideon. And his call to ministry, and I relate to Gideon because Gideon was very unsure of himself. And he needed God to boost his confidence and and let him know that that God was the one who was going to do the work, that God was going with him. So uh, I still feel that way today, that it's not by my power, it's not by my strength, but it's by the will of God and his power at work in us. And that's how our church is going to grow, and that's how our church is going to reach lost people, is not by any of our individual efforts but in our collective trust in the Lord so before we continue this morning let's turn to the Lord in prayer would you please bow with me Lord we love you and and we can't do anything without you you give us our life and our breath and every single day so Lord help us to trust in you more in this next year help us to rely on you this morning as we come to uh to serve you and God, help us to see your power at work in our lives. May you speak through your word. May you have a message for each of us here today. And, and may I just get out of the way. May you be at work in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. Still getting a little feedback, you guys, if you can check that. So one of my favorite things about the Christmas and holiday season is the movies. Anybody like Christmas movies? Raise your hand. You can raise your hand. You like Christmas movies. Everybody's got their favorites, I'm sure. I know my wife has been rocking the life, uh, the, not the life, the hallmark Christmas movies ever since they began back in early September, it seemed like. They were doing Christmas movies. Uh, you know, I love Christmas movies. And one all-time classic Christmas movie, of course, is It's a Wonderful Life. And if you know the story of It's a Wonderful Life, you know that it, it is one that is, is timeless, you have this this man played by Jimmy Stewart. His name's George Bailey, and he goes through uh, a series of, of of depressing and and and, and uh, discouraging events in his life, and he starts to wonder if the world would just be a better place without him, that if his family, if his friends, if his city, if everything would just be better off without him, and he he contemplates ending it all, until the Lord intervenes and sends an angel to him and shows him what life would be like if he was never born. And I thought, well, that's an interesting concept. What would life be like if Jesus had never been born? What would our world look like today? I can guarantee it would be very different. We we wouldn't realize all the things that God has done in our world through Jesus. First of all, we're about to celebrate 2018, right? We're about to enter into that year. No, we wouldn't. Our whole calendar system is dated on the birth of Jesus. If Jesus wasn't born, we'd be celebrating the year 7,000-something, or who knows what we'd be celebrating this year. Our calendar, that's what A.D. means. It stands for Anno Domini. It's Latin. It means in the year of our Lord. So our very calendar is set on Jesus' birthday. But beyond that, the holidays that we love and we celebrate, so many of them would not be around today as well. Of course, we remember Christmas, the birth of Jesus, that wouldn't be here if Jesus had never been born. Neither would Easter, obviously, if he wasn't born, then he couldn't die on the cross for our sins and be raised again to new life. So we wouldn't have Christmas, we wouldn't have Easter, we wouldn't have Thanksgiving because of those who wanted freedom of religion, who came to the new world to establish a new life so we wouldn't have Thanksgiving? You know, it's kind of weird to think about, we wouldn't have Halloween either. Because Halloween is set on the day before All Saints Day, which is, again, a Christian holiday. So, so much of our calendar is, is based around the birth of Jesus. But beyond that, think of all the charities that the church has started over the years. Things like the Salvation Army those bell ringers that you see outside of Walmart and the other stores around Christmas time, they wouldn't be here without the birth of Jesus. So many soup kitchens, homeless shelters, crisis pregnancy centers, all of these things would not exist without Christian people to start them. And you wouldn't have Christian people if Jesus had not been born into this world. And we forget about this, but many of our hospitals and universities in our nation were founded by the church. They were founded to train up people in Christian doctrine. Harvard and Yale are good examples of that. So we wouldn't have many of our universities, many of our hospitals. Disaster relief in our country would look totally different. It is said that the church are the first responders. That Christian people and that religious faith-based organizations, this past fall when we had those hurricanes, Hurricanes uh, Irma and uh, Harvey... That it was the church that mobilized people, that mobilized aid, that mobilized the, the first relief to walk alongside those that were in, trage- in tragedy, uh, recovering from those disasters. So natural disasters would be different. We don't realize how much of our lives would be completely different if Jesus had never been born. And that's kind of the message of, of the movie. And then at the end, of course, he realizes that his life is meaningful that he is touching the lives of his friends and family and his community and uh, that's the message that I want us to see today is that the life of Jesus makes everything better that Jesus being born transformed our entire world and we're going to look at three gifts this morning three gifts that Jesus offers to us that we wouldn't have if he was never born If Christmas had never happened. Our text is going to be in John chapter 10. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 10. We're going to begin in verse 7. It will also be up on the screens if you'd like to follow along. John chapter 10, verse 7. And the first gift that we're going to look at this morning that he offers to us is the gift of eternal life. Beginning in verse 7. So Jesus said again to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door to the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and he will go out, go in and out, and he will find pasture. Jesus says right there in those two verses, I am the only way to heaven. I am the only way that you can be saved. Anyone else that came before Christ and anyone else that came after Christ are thieves and liars if they're trying to point you in another direction. No one else has the power to save. Only Jesus Christ. He is the only way to the Father. He is the only way for the sheep to enter into heaven. This means that nothing else and no one else can save you. That is of chief importance. That is why we gather together to worship. It's because we believe that Jesus Christ has the power to forgive and to save. And that's why we're here this morning. We wouldn't have that if Jesus had never been born. In fact, if he was never born, you would still be dead in your sins with no hope. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 17 and 19 says, And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile, And you are still in your sins. But if in Christ we have hope in this life only, then we are of all people the most to be pitied. If Jesus Christ was just a historic figure who lived and taught us how to live moral lives, but then died and that was it, then we have no reason to gather here this morning. We have no reason for the hope that we have. But Jesus Christ was a real person. He is a real person, and he is alive today. And that's why we can have eternal life, because of Jesus. He's the only one that offers that. Anything else or anyone else that tries to tell you otherwise, that there are multiple ways to heaven, that all people can be saved apart from Jesus Christ, anyone who tries to tell you those things is a liar and a thief. And what do liars and thieves do? Let's continue reading in verse 10. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. This is the second thing that Jesus offers, the gift of abundant life. What does that look like, abundant life? See, we can't just be so focused on our eternal life that all we do is we just sit on our hands and do nothing in this world. No, God has saved us with a hope of life everlasting, but he's also given us hope for life in this world as well. What does that look like? It means that you can have a loving heart, that you can have indescribable joy, that you can have a peace that surpasses understanding. You have a life mission. You have a purpose in this world. And your life is not just about you. It's not just for your pleasure or for your selfishness, but it is to honor Him. And that's for each and every one of us. God doesn't have any second stringers on His team. He doesn't have any bench warmers. Each one of us is called to a life abundant of following Him. This is what distinguishes a Christian from the rest of the world, because so many people in this world they try to find their life's purpose in other things. And they only disappoint. I think C.S. Lewis said it really well in his book, The Chronicles of Narnia, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. He, he tells the story of these children going through this, this wardrobe and entering into the magical land of Narnia. But when they get into Narnia, it is completely winter. And they find out that the White Witch has cast an evil spell on Narnia And he says it like this. It's always winter, but never Christmas. Think about that. Always winter, but never Christmas. That's what life is like apart from Jesus Christ. Now i got to say, I hate winter. I do. I don't like the cold. I don't like the, we don't have as much daylight. I don't like that it's just everything's dead around. I don't like seeing that. I don't like the winter season. It's my least favorite season of the year. But I love Christmas. I love the joy that's in people's hearts. I love the giving and the sharing and the celebrating. I love the, the focus that more people seem to have at this time of year about Christ and, and and spiritual their spiritual lives. I love that. But if we had only winter but no Christmas, man, how depressing would that be? And I think that's one of the reasons why at this time of year it is so depressing for people. Why why do so many people in our in our world today struggle with depression and suicidal thoughts? Now, certainly Mental health is a real thing. And there are mental illnesses, and, and, and don't hear me saying, don't, I'm not trying to trivialize that at all. If, if you struggle with these things, with depression or with suicidal thoughts, please seek out help. If you take medicine, there's no shame in that. There's no shame in going to a counselor. There's no shame in asking for people to help you. Absolutely, you need to do those things. I've done those things in times where I was really struggling. But hear me on this. You also need to pursue Jesus. You have to pursue Jesus because all those other things that that they they might medicate you, they they might help the symptoms, but they don't get to the cause of the hopelessness. Only Jesus can heal that. And Jesus wants to make your life new. He wants to give you abundant life. So please, 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 seek him in all things. What did we just read? The Bible said, the thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy. What does that sound like to anybody else? To me, that sounds like what addictions do. They steal, they kill, and they destroy. It sounds like what depression does. It sounds like what hopelessness does, what worry does. What fear does, it steals, it kills, and it destroys your life. I say this to the youth, and I'm going to say it here again this morning. You are alive today for a reason. You are here today for a reason. God has a purpose for your life. You could have been born 200 years ago. You could be in some far-off country somewhere else. But no, you are in Ohio County, Kentucky in the year 2017, getting ready to be the 2018 if, if the Lord tarries. You are here today for a reason. Why do I believe that? Because I believe God's word. It says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. It says that before you were even born, God knew your name. He knew who you were. It says that you are a work of art created by the very hands of God. And that you are meant for good works in Christ Jesus that he has already prepared you for. And many, many more things the Bible says. You have a reason for being here today. It's to be in Christ. In the movie, George Bailey, he didn't see his reason. He saw his trouble. He saw his struggle and he saw his pain, and he thought, this world would be a better place without me. You know what George needed? He needed a new perspective. He needed a supernatural intervention in his life. And so in the movie, God sent him the angel clearance. And you know what? He gave him that new perspective. He realized that his life did make an impact, that he was loved and that he loves others. And maybe we all need that. We all need that new, supernatural, heavenly perspective on our lives. You are here for a reason. Jesus came to offer us eternal life. He came to offer us abundant life, but there's one more gift that we're going to look at this morning that God came to offer, that Jesus came to offer us uh, in his birth. And it's this, a secure life. Now before we go too deep into this, I'm not talking about the doctrine of eternal security this morning. Those of you that were raised in different churches maybe, you know about the doctrine of eternal security. That's not exactly what we're talking about this morning. That's a topic for another day. What I am talking about is feeling secure in your relationship with Jesus. You can do that. You see, every single relationship we have, we want to feel secure in. We want to know that we are loved, and that the person we love returns that love to us. We all want to feel that way. I, I I remember when my wife Lindsay and I, when we first started dating, we were just maybe a few months into our relationship, maybe about three months into it, and uh, I was the first one to say it. I remember talking to her on the phone, and I said, "I love you," and she responded, "I'm not ready to say that to you just yet." <laughs> That did not make me feel secure in our relationship. (laughs) And I thought to myself, but why? I've been the perfect boyfriend, of course, right? I've been the perfect boyfriend to you. You should be ready to say, what more can I do? But, you know, I, I let it go. And a few months later, she eventually came around and she started telling me that she loved me. But that insecurity that I had in our relationship, I carried it for a long time. In fact, I remember this was more than a year into our relationship. We had had a big fight. I don't remember what it was over, but I know that I would messed up, which is usually the case when we have a big fight, that I had messed up. And I just remember dreading the conversation we were about to have. I remember being so scared to call her on the phone that my, my stomach was in knots because I thought I'd blown it. I thought I have messed up so bad, so much, that the relationship is over. And I didn't want to have that conversation because I did love her. And I didn't want it to end. And I remember as we're talking on the phone, and I was so insecure about everything. She told me, and I'll never forget this, she said, I love you. I'm not going to leave you just because I'm mad. And I remember that. Because... I may have said it first, but I didn't really understand love. What she showed me on that, that day, I remember exactly where I was too, was what real love was. Real love isn't based on your merits. Real love isn't based on you earning it or working harder or trying to be better. It's not something you lose because you mess up. True love, love that comes from God, is unconditional True love is not something that you feel so much as is it a, a commitment that you make. It's a choice that you make to love someone, even on the days where it's difficult. And I remember that. She taught me then what it really meant in our relationship to love. See, my idea of love is still based on my performance. I thought I'd messed up. I've ruined things. It's no longer... It's no longer gonna happen. Jesus offers you a secure life. He offers you a life of knowing that you are loved by God. We're gonna continue John chapter ten, verse eleven. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. No, No, wait a minute. He didn't say anything about love in that verse. Let me ask you this. Who's someone you would die for? I bet it's someone you love, right? Jesus says that I love my sheep so much that I would lay down my life for them. In other places in the Scripture, he says, nobody takes it from me. I offer it voluntarily. I am willing to lay down my life for my people. 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10 says, And this is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. If Jesus had never been born, then we would not know that God loves us. And we would not be able to in turn love God back. Every other religion. See, this is a brand new concept. This is something that that, uh, Judaism and then it's perfected in Christianity. This idea of loving God is a new concept that no other religion has. Every other religion, it's about fearing God. You you fear him. You obey him because he's going to punish you because he, he, he hates you. So you have to obey and you have to fear. But Jesus offers us Love, that we can love God. The word that we just read, the word propitiation, I love that word. It doesn't just mean that Jesus paid your price for sin. It means that he took your punishment for you. It wasn't just like he wrote a check and paid off your debt. No, the punishment that we all deserve for our sins, Jesus bore those on himself, those punishments on himself. I tell this story to the youth, and I've told it maybe in here I don't remember, but I, it's my perfect example I think of this. When I was younger, I was over at my best friend's house, probably 10, 11 years old. We we're running around. His name's George, coincidentally. We're running around and we're doing what kids do. We're getting into stuff. We're, you know, just being wild. And I remember I, I, I knocked over this really expensive antique vase or vase. How do you say it? vase, vase? And it broke. It was on the mantle of the fireplace and it landed right on the bricks and it shattered and I was the only one in the room. I was the only one who was guilty. It was not anybody else's fault but my own and I remember being terrified. Terrified because George's dad had lots of really expensive antiques. George's dad was not the nicest guy that uh, I remembered. I was really afraid of him growing up and uh, I thought, my parents are going to kill me. George's dad's going to kill me. I'm not going to be able to pay this back. I'm not going to be able to see my friend anymore because I messed up so badly. And I remember I told my friend George, and he went and he told his dad what happened. But as I'm listening in the other room, I'm hearing his dad yell at him. I'm hearing him say, you're going to have to pay this back with all this money from your allowance and and, and and getting after him. But one thing I didn't hear was was my name. And then it dawned on me that my best friend, took the blame for me. Because he knew that his dad probably wouldn't let me come back. But he cared so much about our friendship that he did that. And I, I'll never forget that, that lesson there from just 10, 11 years old. You don't have to fear punishment because Jesus was born into this world. His love casts out our fears. 1 John 4:18 and 19. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. When you know that you're loved by God, when you know that you have done nothing to deserve it, but that he loves you anyway, When you know that there's nothing you could do to make him love you any more or any less than he does right now, you have security in that relationship. And it causes us to be able to respond in love in return. That is the love of Christ. That is the security that he offers us, that secure life. That is the freedom that he gives us. Freedom from fear. Freedom to love. I'm so glad Jesus was born. I'm so glad Christmas is real. I'm so glad that happened. So think about this this week. Do you live your life as if Jesus was never born? Do you trust more in your bank account than you do? In God's ability to provide? Do you let your worries get the better of you instead of trusting in God? Do you feel convicted at a church service like this today, but then you talk yourself out of it when you get home? Christmas was only six days ago, y'all. Six days. Does it feel like it was longer than that? Why do you think it feels like that? I was thinking about that over the last couple of days. And, you know, I think part of it is because we have been preparing for Christmas for so long. I mean, for us, it's been the last couple of months. If if you work at Walmart, it's been since like August or July even. You had Christmas trees set up along with back to school stuff. But our whole culture, so for the last several months, has been just focused on Christmas But now that Christmas is over, we're rushing to put it behind us. We're rushing to get to the new year. We're packing up everything. We're putting everything away. That season is over. And I wonder if we live our lives that way sometimes. That Christmas is something that happened, but now it's over. But the birth of Jesus is something that impacts our life every single day. Let's not do that in our life. Let's not let Christmas be something that we've done in the past. Let the truth of Jesus' birth guide us in every single day of our life. That We know that he gives us the gift of eternal life, of abundant life, and a secure life to all those who've trusted in him. There's a poem I'd like to share with you this morning. It's called One Solitary Life. It's by... A guy named Dr. James Allen Francis. It was actually in a sermon that he gave on July eleventh, 1926. He says, Here's a man, talking about Jesus, Here's a man who was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in still another village where he worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. Then for three years he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family or owned a home. He never went to college, he never put his foot inside of a big city, he never traveled 200 miles from the place where he was born, he never did one of the things that usually accompany greatness. He had no other credentials except for himself. While he was still a young man, the tide of popular opinion turned against him, his friends ran away, and one of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies, and he went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. His executioners gambled over the only property that he had on this earth, and that was his coat. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Nineteen wide centuries have come and gone, and now more than twenty centuries have come and gone. And today... Jesus is the central figure of the human race and the leader of the column of progress. All the armies that ever marched, all the navies that were ever built, all the parliaments that were ever sat and all the Kings that ever reigned all put together have not affected the life of man upon this earth as powerfully as this one solitary life. And over the centuries, Millions of people have found salvation and forgiveness and purpose in this one solitary life. Amen. And that's what Jesus offers to you today. He offers that to you this morning. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'd like to close with John chapter 5, verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but he has passed from death to life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the giver of life. You give us hope. You've taught us to love. You take away our fears and our worries. And we trust in you alone for our strength and our salvation. God, may you speak to each one of us as we enter into this new year, may our lives be ones of purpose. May the hope that we have be evident to all. And may any who need to know the love of Jesus give their lives over to him today. We pray for you to move in our church, in our families, in our homes, and in our world by your power and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have a decision to make this morning, we offer a time of invitation. Don't let another day pass if you feel the Lord calling you to follow him. Would you stand as we sing?